All right, so welcome back. This is the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. Again, my name is Zach Cordell, and I have here with me my wife Alyssa and our friend Allie to talk a little bit more about diabetes. So, so far, actually, hold on. Intro music, cue it, go. This is Zach Cordell, registered dietitian and host for the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist, where food, faith, and science meet. This podcast is not intended to be individualized medical advice. As always, please consult with a medical professional in your area to make sure that your medical history is taken into account to make sure that you get the best care possible. So, uh, yeah, we've already talked about gestational diabetes. We've already talked about type 1 diabetes. Alyssa gave some uh, pretty awesome insights into what it's actually like to have type 1 rather than just like the textbook, well, my pancreas doesn't work, and as a result, i got to give myself shots of insulin. And but wear socks. What? And wear socks. And wear socks, Yeah, yes. tight socks and buy the diabetic lotion. Yes, yeah. yes, very much so. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about any of those things, actually, except for the insulin. Um, but what we have not talked about is type 2 diabetes. So just as a quick refresher crash course, if you did not listen to the last two episodes of the podcast, gestational diabetes occurs whenever you are pregnant. and can only happen in women and can only happen during pregnancy. It will typically go away after the baby is born, but it can show that you would have an increased risk for developing type 2 later in life. Type 1 diabetes comes whenever you are Typically between the ages of like 8 to 21, whenever you're going through puberty, your immune system is ramping up. And as a result, it can start to attack your pancreas cells, the beta cells that are making insulin. If you don't have beta cells, you don't have insulin. If you don't have insulin, then your blood glucose just keeps going up. And with type 1 diabetes, typically you're going to end up in the hospital pretty quickly. And we talked about how the kid might start peeing the bed because uh, they can't control their their bladder because their body's just trying to spill some of the extra sugar that they have. Now, type 2 diabetes is going to be a little bit different. And some people would argue that they're completely different, um, different diseases and wish that they were named different things because they function in different ways. But, alas, I do not have the power to change that. <laughs> Do you think that? Do you feel that way? Just wondering. I wish they were named different things so that people didn't think that I had an old person's disease (laughs) or had to answer so many questions comparing them. I think I'd be okay talking about type 2 or talking about type 1. But when people are like, but you don't have type 2, how are they different? And then I have to like explain how Ooh. they're different. Speaking of explaining, yeah. Alyssa was the one talking about type 1 diabetes because she has type 1 diabetes in case you didn't listen to the last episode and I <laughs> didn't tell that at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, and so they, they are different. They function different. And a lot of times it can be taken upon the person that has type 1 to educate someone on type 2 when they don't have it. <laughs> Correct. That's pretty much the only reason why I wish they were different. So, 
with type 2 diabetes, typically, typically, it would have occurred later in life and it can be related to obesity, but it's more so related to lifestyle behaviors that can lend itself to being obese, okay? So there is the genetic component to it, there is the environmental component to it. And the best way that I can explain this is that if you have the genetics, then yes, you do have an increased risk. But that does not mean that you are predestined to get type 2 diabetes. You have an increased risk, but it doesn't mean that you will automatically develop it. If you have the environment that lends itself to developing type 2, meaning that you're sedentary, you don't exercise, you don't eat well, and you eat a lot of foods that are going to contribute to the metabolic syndrome, which includes like heart disease, high waist circumference, and a fasting plasma glucose or a high blood glucose, then you're more likely to develop type 2 diabetes. Okay? So you have the environment on one hand, you have the genetics on the other. If you think about a gun and a bullet, the gun by itself can be dangerous. Like you could pistol whip somebody with that thing in the head and it hurts. <laughs> and the bullet, like if you chuck it in somebody's eye, like yes, it's going to cause some pain. But if you put those two things together, the gun and the bullet or the genetics and the environment, then you have an amplified increased risk. So somebody that doesn't have the genetics but still has the, the behaviors or the environment that lend itself to developing type 2, you have an increased risk, whether you have the family history or not. So whenever people are like, oh, my family, nobody in my family has anything, so I'm good. Like, I don't have to worry about anything. And so they just eat whatever they want, and they're like, I never gained weight. I'm skinny. <laughs> like, just know that that's not how it works. Health is not a number on the scale. It's a sum of your behaviors. Okay? So type 1 diabetes, your pancreas, the beta cells in your pancreas don't produce insulin. So you have to give yourself a shot. With type 2 diabetes, in this situation, it's going to start in different stages. So you might become insulin resistant. And at that point, your body doesn't recognize the insulin that you make as well. And as a result, you have to give, you have to find a way to get that sugar from your blood into your cells. Okay? What ends up happening is that your pancreas is going to make more insulin to compensate for the fact that the insulin it already made isn't working or being recognized. And then finally, it's going to get recognized a little bit. The way that you can think about it is um, so when you go trick or treating, you go and you ring the doorbell. And if the doorbell works, then the person comes to the door. They're like, oh, trick or treat, you look so cute. And then you give them the candy, right? <laughs> Whenever you have type, type 2 diabetes, you go up and you try and ring the doorbell, but there's a party going on inside and they can't hear the doorbell. So other people come and they try the doorbell. And then more people come and they try the doorbell. So more people keep coming to the door to try and make the doorbell work. And eventually, somebody at the party's like, oh, hey, <laughs> there's people outside. And so you go open the door, and you're like, oh, trick or treat, you guys look so cute. Sorry, you look so cute. <laughs> and so you give them the candy, okay? So it's not that the insulin is defunct. It's that you have become insulin resistant. The signal isn't getting through. The, right, so the signal isn't getting through. Whereas with type 1 diabetes, there's no doorbell. 
Like, there's, it just doesn't work. Nobody's like, home. Nobody's home. Nothing's <laughs> happening. It's not going to work. You just got to go to the next house. Nobody's home. <laughs> okay. So with type two, I would I will typically joke with a guy. I'm like, look, you're just not as sensitive as you should be because it has to do with, with insulin sensitivity. Okay? So with this, it can get to the point where you have made your pancreas work so hard that it burns the pancreas out. Mm. It burns the beta cells out. And it can't keep up with how insensitive you are. And as a result, you have to give yourself more insulin because your pancreas can't do it. Now you have to give a shot. So not all type 2 diabetics give themselves shots. Sometimes they'll take metformin. They can take different medications to make them more sensitive. But if it goes uncontrolled for long enough, then they have to give themselves shots. So does the metformin act like the signal? Does it turn the doorbell on louder so that... Okay. Yeah, so it's going to make it so that you are more sensitive to it. Um, and it allows, for simplicity's sake, there are a bunch of different transporters. So insulin will go in, it'll ring the doorbell, and then it'll open up the channel to get glucose from the blood into the cells. If you are not using insulin, and we're going back to the Halloween example, somebody could go knock on the window. And there's other ways to get their attention mm. to get them to let you know that they're there. You really want this candy. <laughs> you, you're like, hey, how, it's trick or treat. I dressed up for this. Okay? I hope you're wearing a Jason's mask when you're knocking on the window. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a lot of different glucose transporters in your cells. Some of them are sensitive to insulin. Other ones are going to be more sensitive to like if you are working out, then that glucose transporter is just going to go to the cell and it's just going to open up automatically and allow sugar to come from your blood into your cell. So it's kind of like that house you go to and they have the the candy just sitting out on the front porch because they're not going to answer the door every time. But it's like it's always going to be there. The exchange will happen. So there's different ways that it can, it can get into the cell. And metformin isn't going to behave like insulin, but it will make you more sensitive to the insulin. Gotcha. That makes sense? Yes. Okay. We just talked a lot about candy and Halloween, so hopefully that no, transfers so over. Yeah. yeah. Is that a Mounds bar, or are you an Almond Joy person? Actually, in my head, I was seeing what would you do for some insulin? <laughs> Instead of a Klondike bar? Yeah. Yeah, that totally works. Well, I mean, a lot of people do a lot of things, if you've ever seen the movie John Q. Um, anyways, so it used to be that type 2 diabetes was called adult onset, because it just happened in old people. But mm. now, kids that are like 12 years old are developing type 2 diabetes. And, and it wasn't of, that long ago that it was just adult onset. Because right. when I was diagnosed, it was like strictly juvenile diabetes. Type 1 is juvenile diabetes. Right. Right. Juvenile and adult onset. And that, like, that was it. Those were the two. Right. Yeah. And they were very separate. And, and so now, it's more that you are insulin dependent or non-insulin dependent. So insulin dependent is type one, non-insulin dependent is type two, although a type two could become insulin dependent. So it gets bad enough where they start having to take insulin. Um, but again, with those kids that are 12 years old that are, that are developing type two, they have the genetics and they have the environment, okay? So it's important to know that like, just because 
you're a bigger person doesn't mean that you're going to get type 2. And just because you're a thin person doesn't mean you won't get type 2. There are a lot of other contributing factors that can go into this. So again, it comes back to having healthy behaviors. So in the gospel, a lot of times we're just like, well, you go to church and then you go to the temple and you say your prayers and you read your scriptures and you're good. And to an extent, yes, like you're good. But we have to foster a relationship with our Heavenly Father and with our Savior rather than just like having the rote prayers or just reading a scripture for 10 minutes because that's what you're supposed to do. Or like there's supposed to be more of a connection to it rather than just being a checklist. Mm. Okay. It's the same thing in terms of our health. Like we can't just be like, oh, well, you know, I'm thin, so I'm healthy. There's a lot of other things that go into it. And there's a lot more depth to it than just what the number on the scale is. So we will take a quick break and then we'll come right back. guys so this is zach cordell just wanted to uh in this intermission talk about my newest book 40 days so in this book it's a diet devotional so each day you can read a new little tidbit of scriptures and gospel thoughts to help you remind yourself of what is important in terms of our health and what is not one of my favorite chapters and just so you know each chapter is uh, a page And the reason being that it's supposed to just be something that you are able to think about, maybe share with your friends, and uh, ponder some of the points. But one of my favorite chapters is asking about was Christ skinny or was he not? And I don't want to spoil it for you, but if you are interested, the book is available on Amazon, and I will have a link in the show notes. But back to the diabetes. because my mom literally used to say all the time, as long as we read our scriptures and say our prayers, we'll be fine. Number one, we were never fine. And number two, (laughs) she totally did the, as long as you're thin, you'll be healthy. As long as you're skinny, people will like you. Like, that was just like, here's Ellie's whole life as a child. What you mm-hmm. just said. False. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to destroy your childhood. But it seems to be that that's what I do with nutrition. If people come in and I'm like, we should look at this. And they're like, wait, you're telling me that these organic Oreos are bad for me? I'm like, well, they're not good for you. They're Oreos. <laughs> they're still Oreos. Whether they're, they're organic. vegan. Oh, well, then they in that vegan. case, they're okay. Yeah. Just kidding. Organic. So are marshmallows. Oreos are already vegan, whether they're organic or not. So, so. are sweet chili Doritos. Right? I think it's sweet chili. One of the Doritos is vegan. Right. So you can eat them for every meal and be fine. Right. And be vegan. And be vegan. Yes. <laughs> Which is the important thing here. Yes. <laughs> Nothing right. against vegan. Not just plants, but anti-meat. <laughs> right. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you identify as when you, in terms of vegetarian, vegan, dinosaur, whatever you want to be. Yeah. It's just that 
the things that you eat need to give you well-rounded nutrition and the nutrients that you need. That's it. True. Basically. All right, Easier so, said than done. What? Easier said than done. Potentially. All right, so welcome back again. This is Zach Cordell, the Latter-day Saint nutritionist, with my guest Alyssa, my wife, and our friend Allie to uh, round off this conversation on type 2 diabetes. Um, so with type 2 diabetes and with type 1, we've already talked about we've already talked about how if you're going to take insulin, it's going to make you more sensitive. If you're going to exercise, that will also make you more sensitive. You cannot, if you are type 1 diabetic, replace insulin with exercise. <laughs> you can't just say, well, I don't like needles, so I'm not going to do that, but I'll go run. Yeah, you replace <laughs> nothing with insulin. <laughs> right. So just know that it will help you. It will be beneficial whenever you are managing it, but you cannot just stop managing it and bank on exercise to do it for you. Because it'll have the opposite effects. Yes. Speed up the sickness process. <laughs> Basically. If you are type 2 diabetic, then it will make you more sensitive to the insulin that you are using at the time and in the future. It will also make you just less sensitive in, or more sensitive in general, which is beneficial. So whenever you hear somebody that loses weight and is exercising and eating healthier and they reverse their type 2 diabetes, that's what they're talking about. Is that because they've lost weight, they're more sensitive. Because they're exercising, they're more sensitive. Because they're more sensitive, they don't have to take the extra medications to do that. That doesn't matter if you're going to do CrossFit or if you're going to kayak or if you're going to paddleboard or if you're going to snowboard or any type of exercise. Or if you're going to walk around the block. Yeah. So, I mean, like, even just moving is going to be beneficial. Yes. So... It doesn't have to be that you're running marathons and now you don't take your medication. If you run 5Ks, awesome. If you hate running and you want exercise instead by lifting weights, that will still be beneficial. So just know that there's a lot of things that you can do that swimming are going to help. Good. Swimming is good. Swimming is good. Unless you can't <laughs> swim, then it's not. Good. Don't swim if, don't you, swim can't if you can't swim. swim. <laughs> but you can learn. Hashtag. <laughs> so just know that also eating food is still going to be important. A lot of people will think, oh, well, I have uh, diabetes, so I have to go keto. I can't eat carbohydrates because carbs are the devil. And that's not true because Lucifer is the devil. But so keto. <laughs> <laughs> but just know that the carbohydrates are not the enemy. It's more so the, the amount of carbohydrates that we're going to consume. So if you're the person that eats like a bowl full of rice that whenever you put your fists together, it's two or three or four fists. That's a lot of carbohydrates at one time. That's hard to manage if you're, you have diabetes or not, okay? The same thing would be if you're gonna eat buckwheat that same size, or if you're gonna eat spelt, or if you're gonna eat farro, or you're gonna eat whole wheat pasta or brown rice, they're all gonna be high in carbohydrates. Sorry, can we just talk about foods that people know? <laughs> yes. White rice, brown rice, lo mein noodles, ramen, linguine, yes. spaghetti, yes. fettuccine, the bow tie pasta. Noodle in any style or size. Right? So much more relatable. Not that, not that they're bad. Pharaoh is delicious, by the way. 
nice plug. We are not sponsored by the Pharaoh Council of America. But um, you should try it. If you want a different grain, eat Pharaoh. It's okay. so yummy. I don't know what that is. It's good. Okay. It's a mixture of basically like rice and oatmeal. Like it has like and kind of the, the meatiness of oatmeal, but the fluffiness of rice. Meaty? Mm. It has it's more of a pasta-y. chew to it. Yeah. Okay. It's good. You'll like it. Okay. It's kind of has like a buttery flavor to too. For me. I mean, you make it like you make rice. You just boil it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is there's a lot of different grains out there. Even if you're choosing bread, a lot of people were like, well, I was diagnosed with diabetes, so now i got to eat whole grain bread with all the seeds on top of it. And that's great. You can do that. But just understand that it's still going to have carbohydrates in there. So you can't just be like, well, this is my low-carb bread because it's whole grain. If it's a whole grain, grains have carbohydrates to them. This is why everyone in the whole world just needs to know how to read a nutrition label. Like, there should be a class. That's an excellent plug. Oh, my goodness. There is a class. There is a class. I teach a class. (laughs) No, I mean, like, you should learn this in elementary school, okay, because... I did not even know as a kid what any of that junk on the back of the package meant. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people Except go to the grocery. Except for when people would tell me there's 17 grams of fat in that block of cheese you ate. Thank you, Grandma. And <laughs> <laughs> and then you just feel bad about yourself because you don't really know what that means. Right. Yeah. So nutrition labels, like we need to we need to learn about nutrition. So labels. as a yeah. side plug, if you don't know how to read a nutrition facts panel or nutrition label. I have a YouTube page right now, it's just Zach Cordell, um, and I go through and explain different things, and uh, the Nutrition Facts panel is going to be one of those, because like you said, a lot of people don't know. They'll go to the grocery store, and they'll look at it, they'll like pick up the Triscuits, and they'll look at the label, and they're like, mm, I don't even know what I'm looking at, but it's brown, so it's probably healthy. And they yeah, throw it it's got wheat, wheats on the front. Right, so I mean, <laughs> it looks healthy, much healthier than Cheez-Its, right? So, and whales are disgusting, so I'm just going to get the... The Triscuits, okay? But yeah, so check out the YouTube page. I'll put a, a video on how to read a nutrition facts label up there. But when somebody has diabetes, that's one of the things that a certified diabetes educator or a dietitian will assist with. Because you have to know how to. If you don't, then whenever you're trying to give yourself medication, you don't know how much to give. So... Whenever you have diabetes, you need to be an active participant in your medical care. So I will just leave it at that. Any other final notes you guys would like to add? Questions, thoughts, critiques? Dream team. Dream team. Yeah, that was awesome. I feel like that was educational without being too much. Thanks. We can just puff ourselves up at the end of this podcast. I like it. I mean, I I love myself. I was like, I was just watching this awesome TV show, and I was like, wow, I haven't said anything in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. Um, Our next episode is going to be on the Lamanites and the Nephites and what we can learn from their dietary habits. And not diabetes. And probably not diabetes, because if they had it, they died pretty quickly. (laughs) And a lot of fighting. Yeah, and a, a lot of murder. But we won't talk about the murder. We'll just talk about the food. All right, thank you again for listening. This has been Zach Cordell, the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. On Facebook, my handle is Zach Cordell RDN. On Instagram, it is also Zach Cordell RDN. See you later.